Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. As always, this is your host, Coach Brad Wilson, the founder of ChasingPokerGreatness.com. And today, I'm welcoming back one of the foremost authorities in the world of mindset and high performance, the legendary author of The Mental Game of Poker 1 and 2, the one and only Jared Tindler. Jared's current and historic roster of clients spans the globe and includes elite esports organization Team Liquid, PGA Tour golfers, world-class entrepreneurs, the best of the best poker players, and both institutional and individual traders. That last group is very relevant today because Jared's latest book, The Mental Game of Trading, is on bookshelves now, and readers are calling it Jared's magnum opus, the culmination of Jared's work over the last decade genius. And as someone who's been trading for 30 plus years, I've never experienced a structure like this in any trading office. It's an amazing book that gives you a process to correct your mistakes. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, that's all well and good, Coach Brad, but isn't this a poker podcast and not a trading podcast? You're absolutely correct. But as you're about to learn in mine and Jerry's conversation, There are many poker-relevant and beneficial takeaways tucked away in the mental game of trading that ought to sate even the most ravenous of poker players' hunger to upgrade their mental game. In today's episode, you're going to learn a greatness bomb on freeing up mental bandwidth that your favorite poker coach has found insanely valuable, how to find patterns and emotional issues that stand in your way on the path to high achievement, how you can focus on resolving mental game issues instead of playing whack-a-mole with symptoms, and much, much more. So without any further ado, I bring to you the OG mental game master himself, the always brilliant Jared Tindler. Mr. Tindler, welcome back to the show, sir. How you been? Brad, thanks, buddy. Yeah, doing well. How are you? I'm doing very well. If I if I remember correctly, the last time you came on was maybe at the beginning slash middle beginning of the pandemic. And uh, yeah, let's catch the listener up on what you've been up to. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, uh, everybody knows how much poker boomed uh, in the early stages of, uh, you know, uh, the pandemic. And yeah, I was kind of busier than ever. And, um, you know, I guess so fortunate to have a pretty pandemic proof, uh, business and yeah. So, you know, busy summer. Um, and then, you know, once things kind of slowed down a little bit, I really kind of ramped up, um, work on a new book for traders, which kind of consolidates a lot of the things that I've worked on, uh, in the last 10 years since writing the first poker book and kind of takes my system to another level and expands a lot of content. And so, yeah, I kind of just grinded on that uh, pretty hard and made the most of the time, you know, being home and not traveling. Cause I think we'd talk about like, i was traveling two to three weeks, uh, you know, every two to three weeks on average for the past couple of years, um, working with uh, Team Liquid, the esports team, and uh, working with traders and traveling for poker. So uh, it's been nice to be home, truthfully. But yeah, so kind of try to make the most of it. When you say the poker boom, 
you know, during the pandemic, does that mean business is good for mindset performance coach like yourself? Yeah, there was a, I mean, there was a huge influx. Um, I think some of it was, Hey, I'm flush with cash. I'll come back and, you know, do some work or, uh, you know, I'd say kind of April, May ish. It was, uh, my God, like help me not like burn out and blow my brains out because I'm playing so much and, you know, oh, by the way, Party Poker just launched another series, you know, and I, it was a lot of tournament players, you know, they just launched another online series. It's like, I can't not play it. So, you know, I think a lot of it was kind of just managing through, you know, the turmoil and that, you know, in some cases it was, you know, helping guys prepare for big final tables that they hadn't been in before because the games were so great and, you know, they were playing a bit higher. And so, yeah, it was, it was a kind of a mixed bag in that regard. And I assume a lot of, uh, a lot of clients that were not based in the USA because of obviously we didn't have too many tournament series here, I guess, ACR, you know, we don't, we don't have many options available here, but, um, I too, like it felt, and I didn't get to experience this, but it felt like it was almost like a box office releases, how the major studios will like choose their weekend with like the poker series so there was like a new blockbuster every single weekend that people just couldn't miss out on yeah it was pretty insane so well let's go back to the the mental game of trading because i know that you just released that book it's your third book tell me you know kind of the story of how that came to be and why you chose to yeah why you chose to write the book on trading yeah i mean about two or three years after the first poker book was written um i just sort of there was more and more traders who were kind of reaching out and saying like, Hey man, like you, you literally changed the word poker to trading and it applies. And, and so, you know, I started picking up some poker, uh, some trading clients and I started doing some work with some trading groups. Um, you know, there's a lot of these, uh, call them kind of like, uh, you know, the online poker sites, um, the online poker training sites for trading, right. These, these kind of places, they're typically run by either a team of, of instructors or a single instructor, um, and so I kind of would go in there and, you know, do some Q and A's and do a little work with them. And, um, and then I got kind of plucked into an institutional firm, which was, which was really cool. Um, I can't say anything about it because of an NDA, but other than to say that they had a large number of traders. And so I got to kind of, kind of prove, you know, the methodology and the system, you know, amongst some of the best traders in the world. Um, and then, you know, again, kind of kept kind of building up this roster of trading clients. And I was kind of, exp- yeah, just seeing how kind of big the market was compared to poker um, how well it had been received. Uh, I'm not really one to just actually change the word poker to trading and release the book. Uh, at that point, you know, when I started writing, it was about three years ago, and I had seven years of of content just kind of shoved in my brain. And for me, I'm constantly learning. And so if I don't actually write or do some kind of uh, you know creative work in that regard, I actually start to get, you know, more tired. I get a little bit more irritable. You know, it's, there's a concept I talk about in the second poker book called bloated brain, where you just sort of absorb all this content and you can kind of mimic a lot of mental issues. You can mimic fatigue and burnout. And really your, your brain is just kind of, it has consumed a lot of, of a lot of content. And so, you know, I didn't realize kind of how bloated my brain was and it took me you know, realistically about three years to download all of it. I was busy in that time period, as I mentioned, traveling a lot. And so it wasn't like a three years of, you know, grinding on it hour, hour by hour, but, you know, so I, I, and I guess to answer your question, I mean, I saw the size of the trading market. I saw how easily applicable it was. I saw how many poker players 
had gotten into crypto and how many, um, you know, kind of new traders were, were uh, kind of just out there. And um, it just seemed, seemed like a kind of a natural, um, you know, extension uh, for, for my work. The bloated brain concept. I do have questions about that. What would you suggest? Because this is a thing that I'm sure happens to poker players, especially people that, you know, buy my courses and it's like a lot of information that they're trying to retain and then use. So my assumption is that bloated brain happens for those folks fairly regularly. What are your suggestions to kind of, you know, get rid of the bloated brain? I mean, there's, there's both the getting rid of it and there's also the prevention, you know, so if we're talking, you know, you've got it. I mean, the best way is to start to limit the amount of intake for new content. So if we're talking about bloated brain because of a lot of, of learning, like from a course like yours or because you're playing a ton, right? Every, every time you're playing poker, you're also learning, right? You're, you're absorbing a lot of details about hands, about situations, about your opponents, tendencies that you may have or mistakes that you make. And so it's really important that you're taking notes through that. Even going through a course, you know, stop, stop the video, stop the course and take some notes down about what you learned. Go for a short walk, decompress a little bit. And it's, and I think the best way to prevent that is to stop before your brain gets, you know, kind of too heavy and, and you kind of crash. Because if you, it's one of those things where um, if you stop early, then, then the amount of energy that you burn trying to force yourself to retain that information, there's sort of a declining scale, um, you know, that happens there. So, you know, figure out kind of what your benchmark is typically for how much you can sustain um, and then stop a little bit earlier, take that short break you know, write down some notes, think about what you've been learning, and then get back at it. I mean, it's just kind of creating a cycle for it. Um, I, I think the best routine that that has helped tournament players prevent this, and it's it makes a big difference, especially, you know, in a, in a, in a long tournament series, um, and especially kind of late in the evening when, you know, edges tend to be bigger if you're playing well, when everybody's getting tired, you know, that that during the breaks, you take one minute to just very quickly write down everything you can that's on top of your mind, or you know, open up a voice note and just kind of uh, spew out everything that's kind of on your head. And if you do that regularly, you're actually going to keep yourself fresher longer. Um, and, and so that kind of a, a, a model, whether it's, you know, uh, one hour levels or two hour levels, doesn't matter. If you do that, whether you're playing or studying, it, it will make a big difference. But ultimately, like if you have bloated brain, you know, just doing a bunch of writing, taking a break, decompressing, doing something else that's not too mentally taxing, uh, you know, you can play video games as long as you're not taking it too seriously. You can play, you know, other games. You know, you're not, you're just not trying to make it something where you are going to absorb a lot of information, right? If you're playing a video game passively, it's not really a, uh, you know, it, but if you're playing it seriously and you want to like be maximizing every little edge in, in the game, then, then it's not really going to help you decompress. Would you suggest the verbalization or the handwriting it down? Like it's a personal thing for sure. I mean, personal. I think- yeah, so there are times for me where um, I don't have enough time and my brain is moving way too fast. So I've got to I've got to just kind of spew it out because I can't type, you know, fast enough to get my thoughts out sometimes. Um, and sometimes handwriting is really effective when it's hard for me to kind of articulate it. If I you know open up a voice note, I'm going to just basically be babbling for you know a minute, you know, incoherently. So you know the handwriting just kind of gets me to to start the process. Sometimes that's helpful. So it's kind of a personal thing. I know. That, for some people, like typing versus writing also makes a difference. Um, you, you know, typically for me, I can type about something that I already kind of have an idea about. 
but I can't write about it. Uh, I can't write, I, sorry, I can't type about something that I'm, again, kind of brainstorming or kind of iterating, you know, and on the moment, you know, the handwriting comes in handy there. Yeah, I, I, my preference, I think, is handwriting, although it's probably the least convenient of all the options. I just found that, like, when I write things down by hand, they tend to get done faster. If it's like a list, they tends to stick in my brain better if it's like a journaling slash brain dump type thing. But that's just me personally. Speaking of entering the the trading world and the middle game of trading. So were there any surprising parallels from poker to trading? I, I know that like, obviously, it sounds like you, you tested your methodology. Did anything not work that did work for poker players? No, everything worked. I mean, there was just you know, nuances that differ, like, you know, as a trader, you kind of decide how often you're sitting, sitting down and, and actually like playing hands, right? Like you sit down to play poker, whether it's cash or tournaments, like the hands just kind of keep coming, you know, in trading, you can kind of come in and out a lot, a lot more easily. Some traders make four trades and, you know, in a week, some trades, uh, some traders make, you know, four trades every 10 minutes. So, you know, there's, there are, you know, some parallels in terms of the types of trading that exist. But in terms of like the mental and emotional stuff, it really is kind of all the same. I think in some respects, trading is a even you know has more variance to it. It's not a contained environment. You know, you could effectively kind of be playing no limit hold'em uh, pre-flop and then post-flop be playing you know Raz or you know, PLO. <laughs> right. You know, the game will change in a dime, and so there's you know it, it challenges your ability to kind of execute a system and make those adjustments. You know, kind of more uh, than you would in, in, in poker. But you know, I those surprises weren't there. Cause you know, I, I worked with team liquid, you know, the esports team for four years, same stuff there, just different audience, different language, different culture, different circumstance, worked with golfers. <laughs> I was working with a radiologist recently who, you know, was struggling with, with some perfectionism and, you know, she was able to review 50 scans an hour. Her colleagues were reviewing 70, you know, she was, you know, more accurate, you know, over, over that sample in terms of diagno diagnosing cancer, but, you know, through our work was able to scale up and, you know, review 70 scans an hour and meet her colleagues. So, you know, the, the, the system is sort of applied across, you know, all these different verticals. It's just kind of a question of understanding the nuances of, of what, you know, performance looks like for that person and how well we can kind of identify what the issues are and, and identify really the, the, the cause of them. Firstly, I, I just want to say that radiologists being more accurate than each other is very terrifying. <laughs> That's a very terrifying statement. I didn't know the accuracy came into the equation there. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's like, there's benchmarks and, and you're either uh, above it or below it. You know, I mean, I've, of course there are people who are hitting it. Right. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's not, it, it's, there's, it's part art, it's part science. It's like a lot of things, um, you know, it, in part because it's just an emerging, not emerging field, but like the, the knowledge for how to, you know, be able to look at these scans and, and identify cancer. And sometimes it's, it's very atypical. And so, you know, things are going to get missed and that's just kind of part of the, the error of uh, diagnostics. Yeah. Human beings. I, I would say that it feels like you and your life's work is basically built around folks who are performing in very high stress environments, just kind of across the board, just high pressure, high stress, needing to maximize performance, whether it's, you know, trading, playing poker, or, you know, being a radiologist. I mean, that's obviously high stress and high pressure. You miss 
a cancer diagnosis, <laughs> there are some pretty big consequences for that. So besides, you know, bearing down and riding throughout the pandemic, what else have you been up to? Uh, a lot of family time, <laughs> um, which has been great. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's kind of been fairly simple for me. I haven't, you know, we haven't traveled, um, haven't really been reading, you know, like, I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually going to take a, a two month break from client work uh, coming up this summer, which I'm, I'm really excited for. I haven't taken that much time off in 16 years. So yeah, I kind of just been kind of putting my head down and, and just working my ass off. But you know, I think what, what I'm what I'm really happy with, though, is the degree to which my system has gotten more systematized, you know, is is kind of x fold, you know, kind of jumped up. Um, so you know, the work has been been fruitful. And I'm, yeah, I mean, I think from a from a business standpoint, really kind of looking at the new book as, you know, kind of part of a larger, you know, uh, business building thing, right? You know, you mentioned providing content for people working in high stress environments. And that's, that's absolutely true. Um, it's for people who, who care about what they do and want to be great and want to perform at their best level and to continue to, and to continue to solve the things that hold them back. So, you know, over the next, you know, two, three years, I'm going to kind of keep broadening the scope with which that applies. And, you know, I hope to provide some, you know, additional new content for poker players, you know, in it, uh, you know, along the, that vein, like I, I, I you know, I, I sort of hasten to think that some people think that I'm kind of like leaving the industry because, you know, trading has kind of popped up here. But no, I still have a lot to say. And, you know, there's still a lot of a lot of <laughs> poker players who could use the help. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. Not yeah, just expanding your reach, right? Yeah, exactly. For poker, for the poker player that's listening to this that maybe isn't a trader, do you think there's value in, you know, reading the mental game of trading to apply some of the stuff to poker or should they just stick with the mental game of poker? Yeah. I mean, I think if you've read the poker book and you've gotten value from it, then the trading, the trading book could it kind of add to that, right? There's, there's, I mean, it's kind of crazy to say there's 80% more content um, than the poker book. The system is tighter. It's, it's a lot clearer, you know, but again, it's kind of written in the language for poker. So I think, you know, you get, you get, I mean, sorry, it's written for the language for traders. So you kind of have to do what, the traders have been doing with the poker book and kind of read through the lines and, and understand, you know, kind of what issues apply to you. But I think, you know, if you're still struggling, like I, I the, the poker book, you know, is at this point, you know, kind of just past 10 years old. So, you know, I've learned a lot in terms of the solving of issues. And there are th some things that have just been kind of upgraded. I mean, I'm still incredibly proud of the book. You know, it's still selling well 10 years later. So it, it's, if you haven't gotten the, the poker book, then start there. If you've gotten it and, you know, you want more, you know, there's a lot more in the trading book that uh, certainly can help. Yeah. I mean, in 10 years, I would hope that you would have learned <laughs> and improved your, your process over the last yeah. 10 years, right? Just pure yeah. reps and thinking. I mean, that's just kind of how it goes, um, especially if you're always striving to learn and grow. Okay. All right. So let's imagine there's a greatest hits collection for the best stories that you've accumulated in your coaching career. Could you tell the listener a story that's on that greatest hits album? You mean in terms of like client outcome or just whatever, like basically you and I are hanging out together, 10 other people. And you just tell a funny story, like just a, a story about a memorable moment. I mean, there's, there's, you know, uh, the crash and burn stories and there's the, you know, uh, guys who grinded, you know, we worked together for, for a while and was grinding super, super hard 
for an entire year to put his entire bankroll on Hillary Clinton to win the election in 2016. So, you know, that's a not so great story, though he did make a lot of money in the year leading up to it. Um, but pretty Oof. insane. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with uh, some some horse punters uh, or horse punter down in Australia, horse better, basically, um, who, uh, yeah, they call them punters down there. I, <laughs> I was like, what is a horse punter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always love the uh, foreign, uh, you know, vernacular of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the guy who's, you know, making millions of dollars a year, you know, squeezing out these tiny edges in, in horse racing and, you know, building this team of people who watch video of horse races and he's trained them to be able to figure out how to see what he sees. And he and I have done a ton of work on how to extrapolate from his brain, how he analyzes a horse race and, you know, is able to communicate that to his team so he can, you know, kind of better. Yeah. Make bets basically. Yeah. Uh, That's, that's super interesting. So basically he's pulling out his knowledge, um, telling it to you and you're giving him a way to communicate and translate that to his team. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of build out this team so he can kind of scale up his business in a sense. Right. I mean, you know, there's, there's just a limited number of horse races that he can watch. And, you know, if, if he doesn't have his ability to kind of put his thumbprint, you know, on the race, then he's just not, he's going to be at a disadvantage and is just not going to bet that, bet that race or bet, bet that series. So, so yeah, like being able to kind of conceptualize your knowledge base is a really important thing to do. And I think because I've done it for myself, you know, I kind of have a framework for doing that. And it's really not that complicated. I mean, the second poker book really kind of outlines that in, in many regards, as we kind of tap into this thing that I call intangible competence, right? Like you, you're kind of digging out of the ether, this uh, unconscious knowledge that ultimately feeds your intuition, right? When you're making high level poker decisions, you can sense something that you can't conceptualize yet. And so, you know, for people who are on the kind of leading edge of, a, of, of an industry, you know, making poker content, right? There's things that you're picking up on that other people can't see yet and you can't see yet. But the faster that you can extract that from your head and conceptualize it. And then once you conceptualize, it doesn't mean you're done. Now you've got to feed in to that knowledge a, a certain amount of, uh, of clarity so that you can communicate it. And so, you know, it's, it's not uh, an, un, an un, insurmountable problem, but it's one that requires a certain understanding of what the steps and stages look like to get there. Yeah, it's it's not insurmountable, but it is a major task and operation. I know the, like, again, with, with making my courses just this past week, I'm about to release one in a couple of days and just trying to figure out how to visually represent what I'm creating in a way that like is user friendly. Uh, it's like, oh, I've had them, I've had all the strategies created for a few weeks, but then like, distilling them down, creating heuristics, making them visually appealing. Um, that's just a whole different ball game that I think <laughs> people probably don't think or appreciate enough in that like when something is visually appealing and easy to navigate, there's a lot of thought and care that went into, you know, just creating all those things. It, it's a, it's tough. Yeah. It's really hard to make things easy. <laughs> It's, it is, I tell, that's one of the things that I tell people all the time. It's like, you know, if I think it was a quote by Abraham Lincoln, he said, if I need to give an hour long speech, I can do it right now. If I need to give a 30 minute speech, then, you know, give me two months. And if I need to make a 10 minute speech, give me six months, right? Like (laughs) the, he needs a longer time for the shorter speech because simplicity simplicity is the goal and it's the aim 
but simplicity is way more difficult than just like laying out a bunch of complex things that are hard to digest, understand and execute. One of my favorite quotes is uh, on that picture of Einstein behind me, uh, right at the top that says, uh, you don't really understand something until you can explain it to your grandmother. Yeah. That guy goes along with it too. I mean, you know, not only is it difficult to get to that point, but I think it does kind of feed my kind of ethic in terms of what I'm trying to accomplish because, you know, if I can't explain it to the masses in a very bite-sized digestible way, it reflects on my comprehension. And I think that's, that's the challenge that I take. That's, it's why I kind of like writing and, and, you know, kind of producing material like that because it does make me better. And I think it certainly happened to a great degree after I wrote the poker books where my competency just immediately, you know, kind of jumped and it's already happened, you know, with the trading book, I kind of went through the, uh, you know, the creatively empty stage where I was just freaking done. Um, but now, you know, uh, probably six, seven weeks kind of post that, you know, working with clients, like the interconnections that I see now are, you know, already advancing, right? I mean, I'm not saying I would do things differently in the book, right? But I'm saying that my knowledge is already beginning to advance because I've cleared out all that space now that's been kind of so, so well conceptualized. Yeah, I mean, it just like in my case specifically, it's made me a better poker player. Like I just see things, I'm able to execute at a higher level. I've simplified things down in a way that I can communicate to other people, but also, you know, the thought process in my mind, it goes there too. And like you said, once you kind of get it out, then all of a sudden you, it frees your brain up to notice other things and start seeing other things. You know, like if you label something, right? Like this is a, a big part of the process is like naming something that was just kind of, you know, ethereal before, just like, it's just a thing. It's a concept that you intuitively understand, but when you name it, then you see it. And then once that's sort of programmed into you, you can build on top of that, just, you know, based on naming it and understanding it, like basically chunking the concept into one name. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think this is one of the the hidden benefits of being a coach. Um, and you know, a lot of coaches will attest to this, which is, that you do get better because you're having to communicate things to people that, you know, are, are a step behind you or, or multiple steps behind you. And, you know, I think going back to the bloated brain discussion, talking to other people, teaching is also a way uh, to help to, to offload some of that, that bloatation. Uh, yep. Uh, this, this might be the bloated brain episode of the podcast. <laughs> I, I really love that concept, by the way, I'm certainly going to be using it in my, in my courses and uh, coaching sessions. Yeah. And I guess just to add one more point to it while we're there um, for people that don't know how to kind of diagnose it for themselves, because sometimes it can, it can mimic fatigue, right? It's like the end of a long poker session. And typically at the end of those sessions, right? The last thing you want to do is take notes about what happened. You want to, you know, review some hands, but if you just take some game flow notes about specific spots, um, you know, hands that gave you trouble, it doesn't even have to be like the biggest winners or losers, right? Hands that you had to really think about, those are hands that had the most knowledge with which you need to learn from, right? Because clearly, if it was that kind of close of a decision, you're close to actually breaking through and understanding something more, you know, in that spot, right? It was challenging for a reason. And so if you write down like what was going through your mind, why was it so difficult? What was your opponent doing that made you made it challenging? Just write those game flow notes down. You don't have to do anything with it. Okay. If you write that stuff out at the end of the session, you will feel different, right? So at the end of the session, you might feel super tired and all you wanted to go do is do something else. But if you write that stuff out, you're going to avoid 
going to sleep and having your mind start to unpack itself right then. And so you can't sleep for, you know, half hour, hour longer. And especially, you know, in big tournament series, right? This is, this is really essential. Or if you're playing a ton of cash games and playing late, this is actually a way to actually get better sleep. Because if you go to bed or, you know, the other scenario is you go to bed right away, but then you wake up after five, six hours with like thoughts in your mind, which is not ideal either. Cause now you're up early. And so you can kind of avoid both scenarios um, by doing a bunch of writing and, and typically people describe, right. That they feel better. I'm not saying you feel great. Like you're going to go out and you know, uh, go run a 10 K or something. Right. But like, you're not going to feel as tired because you weren't tired entirely. Like part of it was fatigue, but another part of it, part of it was this, this bloated brain. And so would you say, because of how the brain works, right? Because like we have a focus and diffuse mode in the brain. Would you say that writing things down and my suggestion would just be to like, keep a word document open while you're playing to the side and just type out, you know, thoughts or situations that you need to dive in deeper to study or something like that. But would you say that like writing it down is also a good way to just kind of let it go, right? Because I think that like, if this happens to me, I'm holding it all in my brain because I know that I need to look at it later on. But when I write it down, then I just let it go, which kind of, you know, lets the diffuse mode do its thing and kind of think about the problem behind the scenes, which oftentimes I found like if I hit a snag in a course or something and I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do this. And I just walk away from the computer. I go to sleep. I wake up the next day and it's like, Oh, the problem is solved. Like I, I I solved it while I was sleeping. Basically. Would you say that that's, that's a pretty big component to it too? Yeah, hundred percent. So I'd say the taking of notes while you're playing has to be at a minimum of just capturing what happened, not doing any analysis. The second you switch into analysis, you're now you're shifting gears in terms of your, your, your state of mind and the way that you're thinking right from an analytical perspective, which is not, it's not conducive to performance It's not conducive for playing well. So it's just capture it and move on. But you're right. Yeah. It, it is a lot easier to be able to move on um, and to keep yourself sharp and fresh by not holding all that stuff. I love what you just said there about switching from analysis to performance. Again, another thing I've noticed in private coaching sessions student will be performing very, very well in like the first half of their playing explain video, no mistakes, all of a sudden something happens that they're unsure about. And then precision is just lost across the board performance plummets. Like they say they have, you know, brain farts on other tables that they didn't have the first 30 minutes prior. And it's because they're analyzing that one hand instead of, you know, focusing on performing in the moment. Yeah. So the key is, if you take that advice and it works, right, you, you kind of are able to develop the discipline to say, okay, not now, put it away, just move on and refocus. And so, you know, it might take you a minute or two, but you can kind of get yourself back. If you can't do that, right, you're, you feel compelled to want to know what you did wrong or why you got outplayed or, right, then we're dealing with something that's more emotional. And it's not going to be as easy as just telling that student to, to, to just focus on playing. Right. You, we've got to now uncover maybe there's some hidden perfectionism. Maybe there's a hatred of mistakes. Maybe there's a fear of, look, you know, embarrassment, you know, you name it. But that's the stuff that has to get kind of teased out, you know, in, or, in order to have a chance of being able to remain focused in that spot. Yeah, that's great, man. The decision to enter a hand is fundamental to poker strategy. Too tight, and they know what you have. Too loose 
and you're easy to run over. Free Flop Bootcamp from Chasing Poker Greatness is a comprehensive guide to locking down your pre-flop game and creating true range advantage. Eight days of guided training, over 60 optimal ranges, and access to a dedicated community of players that will push your pre-flop game from a place of weakness to your greatest strength. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. Available now. John, I wanted to ask you why you decided to invest in a pre-flop bootcamp. Everything that you had done with me to that point, or I had heard you do, had impressed me. I love the podcast. I accidentally ended up in the poker power hour and loved that. And then I took coaching and then you recommended the boot camp. And at first I didn't think it was, you know, something that would be that valuable. But I was like, everything else has been amazing. So I signed up and then it just blew me away. And what about boot camp blew you away? Like it started off slow. Like I'm learning these ranges and I'm not even understanding what you're talking about. And then all of a sudden, as I start to understand what we're doing with the three bets, the four bets, all of a sudden it just kind of hit me. And I was like, oh my God, how do I not know this stuff? This is amazing. The more I studied them, I started to understand why they were constructed sometimes. Like I'd be like, that's why that's like that. And that would lead to more revelations and just a better understanding of poker in general. Do you have any interesting takeaways from your boot camp experience? The most interesting thing about the boot camp, it's a pre-flop boot camp, but I feel like it's done as much for my post game as it did for my pre-game, just because I'm not in as many awkward and bad situations as I found myself in. You know, when we were doing coaching before the boot camp, we couldn't get through 10, 15 minutes of tape without finding mistake after mistake. And then once we did the boot camp, it solved problems on the back end as well. I know you've studied for a thousand hours this year. How do you think boot camp compares to your other poker study? Oh, it's crazy. The boot camp is probably the most important thing I've done all year out of everything. I would give anything to go back and to, to know that stuff 10 years ago. I can't imagine how successful I'd be right now if I had known that stuff. And I thought the boot camp was so valuable that I literally insisted you take more money from me and paid you more for the boot camp because I was blown away. I just thought the price was too cheap. And it's changed my game in ways that I, I can't even explain to you. If you'd like to join the next round of Preflop Boot Camp, which starts on the last Saturday of every month, Head to ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp to lock up your spot. One more time, that's ChasingPokerGreatness.com slash bootcamp. What's your take on the kind of explosion of performance coaches in the poker space? I don't know a lot of them, um, so I can't comment on anyone specifically. Um, what I would say is, in general, that there still is this sort of ethic out there, and I say this generally because you know now exploring poker, I started exploring the trading space and you know the the performance coaches that are there, esports and golf. There still is this very like kind of 
wide ethic that promotes meditation and promotes healthy living and promotes, um, you know, a lot of these tools that are very well intended. And I'm not by any means saying that they're bad, right? But I am saying that they're, they're secondary tools and they're not to be used as tools of suppression, right? The goal really ought to be to resolve the issues, right? So we take the example we were just talking about, let's say it was a, a hatred of mistakes, right? You can use meditation, you can use you know, a, a better uh, physique and better nutrition and better sleep and all of these other things that can help you to be better in that spot, but you're not gonna actually solve the root of the issue that way. And, and what you're gonna do is, is end up kind of moving that problem to someplace else you know, if it ends up getting sort of suppressed and dealt with in, in that spot. So we're looking for the reasons why you hate losing or the, why the reasons why you hate making mistakes. And that has to be solved. Otherwise, you're going to end up using mental resources uh, inefficiently, right? You want your entire mentality, all of your focus and energy to be playing the best you possibly can. If a portion of your mind, a portion of your mental energy is being devoted towards controlling your emotions, then you actually are not able to get into the zone, right? Because the, that resource is gone and you're vulnerable to, you know, some accumulation and then something clicking. And it, now all of a sudden you're, you're rapidly compromised because the part of the brain responsible for emotional control can be overrided by intense emotions, right? So that, and that dynamic can't be changed. Can you so tell me, can you go in more in depth about that? Because that's a very interesting point that, I mean, is obviously true, but I, I would like uh, expanded. Yeah, so it's called the prefrontal cortex. You can, mm -hmm. look, you can look at brain scans, right? You like slice it, you know, uh, right through, uh, you know, the middle of your brain. So you can see it from, uh, from the top viewpoint. Um, the frontal lobe, right, kind of right, right behind your, eye, your, your eyes and, you know, in your forehead. You know, there's this little tiny spot called the prefrontal cortex. And you know, under brain scans, uh, you see people actively trying to suppress their emotions, that thing is red hot. Okay. But when the emotional system gets even more overactive, then it goes completely gray and looks like everything else that's not active because it's been it's been compromised. So the 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 strength of your emotions, you know, has that power to shut it down. And, and to me, it's kind of like standing at the edge of a uh, you know, uh, the, the edge of a beach, you know, standing there with your hands up, trying to hold back away from crashing on shore and not getting you wet. It's just not going to happen. And, and so a lot of people unknowingly put them in situ, put themselves in situations where they're unprepared to do battle in the correct way against that emotionality in a way that's going to lead towards resolution of the problem in the long run, right? The emotion is not the problem, right? The emotion is a signal or a symptom of those underlying performance flaws. And, and, you know, performance flaws are, you know, uh, in the poker book, I talk about them a lot. Trading book, I go into even more detail on them. We're talking about high expectations. We're talking about illusion of control, the hatred of variance, the hatred of mistakes, uh, the illusion of learning, uh, confirmation bias, hindsight bias, right? There's, you know, I think close to 30 of them that I talk about in the, in the trading book. Those performance flaws are what produce the emotional reactions that you see on the surface. Though They are what produce the negative thinking and the perseverating, right? The obsessiveness with your thoughts, if you're fearful or, you know, the, the, the blindedness that you get in terms of aggression, if you're, you know, raging, uh, steaming and tilting. So those are just signals of the underlying problem. And if you don't understand 
that you are doing battle against the performance flaws, then you are going to seek to suppress the emotion, which effectively makes you think the emotion is the, is the cause of your problems. And that's not the case. Of course, emotion is a big part of the problem. It's what we see and experience most often, but, but that's not really where you want to be doing battle. Um, and I think a lot of people who read the poker book kind of misunderstood that. I mean, I've gotten a lot of feedback of how much they use the term injecting logic, which is kind of your tool, right, to actually correct uh, those performance flaws. And they weren't using the mental hand history, right? My five-step process for breaking down and, and identifying the roots of your issues, right? You've got to be working towards resolution, right? Injecting logic is a tool to work you in that direction that contains and controls your emotion in the short term. But that is not the solution. The solution is chipping away at that performance flaw over time by correcting it over and over and over again until you get to the point where you automatically are able you know, to, to play a hand where you lose and know that it's fine to move on and you'll analyze it later. Why? Because maybe it had to do with your confidence. Maybe it had to do with some perfectionism. Again, there's a lot of reasons for it, but if you identify what that flaw is, that's what you're correcting. And over time, it kind of deactivates the uh, negative emotion and deactivates all those, you know, kind of chaotic thoughts that go with it. Yeah. And I I have a follow-up question, but first uh, I would just like to say like, for the listener, intuitively, this ought to make sense to you, right? If you have a loved one that passes away and you obviously experience sharp, intense emotions, you can't just logic your way through it. You can't just flip your emotions off there. You have no chance, right? You're a human being. So uh, my follow-up question would be someone who has worked through these issues. What would you say their inner dialogue sounds like? How do they approach doing study after their session? How do they approach like making a mistake and then overcoming said mistake? I mean, if, if anybody that's listening now um, can just imagine what their mind looks like when they're at their best, it's just like that, right? It's it's not like a foreign thing. You're not going to just, it what, it, what it what it's doing is it's removing a lot of the, the noise and the chaos and the emotionality that exists, you know, in your C game at the back end of your range, right? Um, that's what we're kind of getting rid of. So, you know, at that point, right, there's a lot more clarity. It's easier to think in a linear fashion if that's how you think, right? Without getting it kind of pulled in different directions because, uh, you know, you might start overthinking maybe the amount that he has it, right? Because, you know, he's had it the last few times and now you're kind of spooked by it. And so, right, you you were kind of going through your range construction and, and then that thought kind of hijacked your process. That's not going to happen anymore because you're able to remain more poised and more more focused on what is actually likely, right? The probabilities of the situation and, you know, your understandings of their tendencies and whatnot. So yeah, that, that decision-making process will feel more like what it does when you're, when you're at your best. Yeah. I think in my personal experience, my progression as a poker player now, when I play after, you know, 17 years, if I'm unsure about something, I attack it with curiosity. Really. If I don't know whether I made a mistake or not, basically the feeling I get is not rage or, anything like that it's just oh i'm curious about this situation like there are a couple different options that look fairly similar let's dive in investigate see if i can learn more but never just like the pure rumination um or just anger or whatever 
it, it is that I want to resolve immediately because it's not going to resolve immediately. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to find the answer while I'm in the arena. That's something for when I step outside of the arena. But yeah, that's just, that's sort of how it works with me personally is like, if something's confusing or if I'm unsure, then it basically just makes me curious to investigate afterwards. Yeah, and that's that's a, a, a really important thing for people to be doing with their tilt, their fear, their confidence issues, their motivation issues, right? They typically know what they ought to be doing. And instead, when they're not, they get they get critical, right? So they get tilted because they're tilted. And and that just spirals the chaos, right? So so yeah, curiosity is a great antidote. The phrase I like to say is, you know, be a detective, not a dick, right? <laughs> be curious and understand what, what what's going on. And don't just, you know, be kind of punitive towards yourself. What's a problem poker players ought to be focused on solving earlier in their careers? I would say the emotions, the, uh, the things that disrupt their work ethic. You know, I mean, confidence is is about perception right how how well do you how well are you accurately assessing your own skill set that's that's really what confidence is about some people are overestimating it right you get they get overconfident and then you underestimate it but when you're when your work ethic is is cleaned up so that you're not going through these highs and lows right maybe because of your confidence or because of other issues you know a lot of poker players come from uh you know situations that they don't want to work hard. They don't want to, you know, they want to just enjoy the game. They want to uh, feel kind of the freedom that comes with, you know, kind of doing what they want. And it takes them a while typically to understand that freedom comes at a cost. And if you, if you work hard, it's, it's sort of through that discipline that actually frees you, right? It's sometimes you think uh, freedom means doing whatever the hell you want. But the other way to do whatever the hell you want is to be successful enough that you can actually do whatever the hell you want for a lot longer. So you kind of have to get your, your goals aligned. But I'd say early on, you know, the more that you can kind of focus on understanding why it is that you're struggling to put in the hours to practice, to study, to learn, um, you know, how, you're, how, you're, how that process gets disrupted, perhaps by some loss of confidence as you're getting, you know, overwhelmed by material. You know, I think if you can clean up your learning process, then it becomes a lot easier to develop accurate confidence because your competence as a player, you know, is, is much more uh, sequential and, and is growing and, you know, not these kind of highs and lows and big steps forward and backwards. And, you know, a lot of kind of chaos gets created just because of these errors in the learning process and these errors in players, uh, you know, kind of uh, work ethic and discipline and motivation. So, yeah, I think, I think that's the spot early on. If you're going to clean something up, start there, obviously, you know, the, the stuff that gets the headlines is, is, is tilt, you know, or fear playing in bigger games. But, you know, sometimes early on as a, uh, while you're learning, you can take care of chunks of that um, just by learning better. Because sometimes the tilt is just a reflection of you not knowing what to do and you expect yourself to know or fearing playing against better players because you don't really have a sense as to where your skill set is because you haven't done the work that you feel like you should have. And sometimes it's not even tilt that springs up while you're in the middle of your poker session you know it could be fear it could be risk aversion it could be you know just you know what to do but you just don't pull the trigger right just pure risk aversion if somebody is you know has read your books has consumed the mindset materials out there and it's just not working for them what step would you suggest somebody like that take 
I mean, it, it could be more personal. Okay. So, you know, the books are really designed for perf the performance arena and, you know, you kind of have to look in the mirror and ask yourself, like, have you done the work? Cause a lot of people think osmosis is how you learn, but you got to actually use the tools that I prescribe and, and work the process. I mean, you know, you, you can't expect to be a good poker player overnight and you can't expect to solve emotional issues overnight either. So if you've looked in the mirror and said, yeah, you know what, I've done the work, you know, then, then I think the next place to look is maybe this stuff is personal, right? Maybe the risk aversion, the fear, the shutdown mentally in these spots, you know, has gone on for many years, um, you know, and, and so there could be some personal issues, you know, at play here. I, I didn't talk about that a lot in the, in the poker book, but the trading book kind of ends with a chapter on troubleshooting and troubleshooting kind of the most common, you know, reasons that people's progress is going to get derailed. And the last section is sort of this intersection between, you know, your personal issues and, and trading, but, you know, it's the same has been, been true for years in poker where, you know, you take somebody who maybe was bullied as a kid. Right. And, and so, you know, 25, 30, you know, years old now, hasn't been an issue for a long time, right? They feel like they've been past it. They feel very confident in most, you know, arenas of life. And yet, you know, poker can bring out just like trading and golf and all these other big performance environments, trading can kind of bring out some of these unresolved facets of ourselves. And so, yeah, maybe some of that, that risk aversion is because, you know, in spots, you know, guys are, or, you know, there's a, there's some kind of aggressive re-raising going on and it's triggering some of that unresolved emotion, you know, from when you were 12 years old. That happens. I mean, I'm not saying that that that's, you know, the only reason why somebody's going to experience risk aversion, right? To your question, it's what if they've gone through the work and they're still stuck? That that's like kind of the easiest place to look. And if they wanted to hire you as a coach, right? I know that like that's that's an option to get focused, targeted work specifically on your personal stuff, right? I mean, ish. I'm I'm not. I mean, I've I've got a pretty decent sized waiting list right now. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was the follow-up question. <laughs> if they can't hire you, if they look and they're like, Oh my God, this dude is taking two months off. What's he doing? Yeah. Um, where would you suggest they look, uh, for someone like yourself? Are there any like, uh, parallel folks out there? So like I said, I haven't really surveyed the market well enough to make, you know, good recommendations. You know, what I would say is, you know, do your homework. Um, ask really good questions. Uh, if you're going to work with a therapist, you know, who might specialize in performance or, you know, make a bunch of phone calls, ask for, for time to speak with them. You be the one in control, right? Sometimes it's easy to feel this sort of deferentialness with, with an expert um, and to feel like, okay, well, I'll be lucky if they get to speak with me or if, you know, it's a therapist and, you know, they're the ones that are kind of the experts. What do I know? hell no, right? It's you're the expert in you, but you're kind of offloading, you know, the responsibility for helping you to somebody else. And so you got to interview them like you'd be hiring, you know, somebody for your business, right? As a poker player, you're hiring them for your poker business in a sense. So, so ask them questions and get a feel, right? The number one factor for, for outcome with a client is just trust, right? I mean, you look at, at, you know, learning it, you don't learn from somebody that you don't trust period. So you got to feel like you can trust them. And that can mean different things for different people. So, you know, in that kind of initial call, the initial conversation, you know, again, you make an estimate, you, you may have a strong feeling one way or the other. Uh, you know, if it's if it's strong feeling, you know, for give it a shot, 
you know, after two sessions, if you're not happy, bolt. I mean, there, there's, there's good people out there. There are not some good people out there, uh, you know, poorly skilled people out there. So, you know, as a consumer, you're going to be far less able to discern uh, that from, from, you know, the initial uh, steps here. But, you know, if you try it out for a few few sessions and things are feeling a little squirrely and you're not really getting direct answers and you're not really feeling like there's some momentum moving in your favor, find somebody else, right? There's, there's lots of fish in the sea here. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of greatness bombs there. And from the other side of the table too, I've noticed in my private coaching sessions, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. Like if the student doesn't trust the feedback, nothing really happens, right? If a student doesn't trust the contents of a course, then they're less likely to be successful in said course. And yeah, it's just a thing that I've noticed happen over and over and over and over again. And, you know, from the coaching side too, I would say that if you don't feel like you can trust your coach, don't book sessions with them. (laughs) Um, Just because it's not going to be a good experience for you. And it's probably not going to be a good experience for them either, right? There's nothing that is more frustrating than, you know, investing your time and energy with a a student in private coaching and like nothing, there's no progress, right? Like I think all coaches want to see their students progress and, you know, move forward. And yeah, so basically if you're going to invest money into someone as a consumer, be sure that you trust them. Yeah, that's good points, man. I, I, I hate wasting time. I mean, you know, the hour that I get paid for it, you know, solid enough money, but one hour is not going to make or break my career. So I would much rather spend it with somebody that, you know, is invested or, you know, doing something that's going to build my business. So, yeah, I mean, for the most part, I feel like at this point, you know, people that show up on my doorstep have, have plenty of material to vet me and know if they have some sense that I'm, you know, viable, you know, to work with them. But yeah, so I'm not deterring people from going on my website and, you know, shoot me an email if they're interested. Just know that it, it may be a little bit. I have on my website, if somebody applies for private coaching at chasingpokergreatness.com, I have a giant warning page before they're able to book a consult that's like, if you're looking for this, I'm not the person for you. Mm. You know, X, Y, Z. Like, I'm not going to hold your hand. I'm not going to make sure you do your homework. I'm not going to solve, you know, I don't have all the answers. You've got to still do the work because basically, yeah, those are not really clients that I want to have because I mean, again, it's not fulfilling a, and then B, I feel like there's just this tangible excitement working with somebody that is doing the work. And like, you can tell that they're they're just a hundred percent invested into the process. Totally. No, I've got, um, I've got a couple PGA tour players that I'm working with right now, um, and have worked with another couple. But one of the guys that I worked with previously, I mean, he's won multiple tour, tour events, but it wasn't a great experience. Uh, you know, he wasn't he wasn't really bought in. You know, one of the guys I'm working with right now, man, I mean, we work weekly. I mean, it's like we can see the progress week after week, and it's exciting. It's fun. I mean, to be part of somebody chasing, you know, to be one of the best players in the world at anything is exciting and, and fun to be part of. I mean, you know, I, people know my backstory of wanting to, you know, play professional golf. So, you know, I'm not going to play in the masters, you know, next best thing is, uh, you know, coaching somebody who's, who's out there trying to win it. Yeah. Chasing greatness as they say, um, who says that? I don't know. They, the basically it just people. people. Yeah. Um, (laughs) let's see. Could you tell the listener a life lesson you've learned from a negative experience? So, 
could be something like, we'll say the last five years of Jared Tindler's existence. I'm sure you've had to have some negative experiences. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think not five years ago, but, you know, some people may not realize that the the day before Black Friday is when I launched the, <laughs> the, the poker book. Um, so that was that was interesting. I mean, I think my my mentality for launching the book before that was, you know, if you build it, they will come. And, and I just did not understand, you know, the amount of work it was, even if honestly, it was, it, it worked out really well for me, at least. I mean, I, I know it was chaotic for a lot of people and scary and it was for me too in that, in that phase, but, you know, it just sort of taught me that, you know, there's a lot more, you know, to, to being successful than, you know, kind of just getting to that finish line. Sometimes there's, other skill sets that you need to acquire. Yeah. I mean, I, I think other, other things would probably be like, um, early on in my, my work with, uh, with team liquid with the esports team, you know, I was, I was very confident in my skill set at that point. Um, and having now, you know, worked with poker players and worked with traders, you know, felt comfortable moving into a, a third kind of new industry and, yeah, I mean, it was not like I was, you know, I hit the ground running and it was welcomed with open arms. It was, there was a lot of resistance, a lot of skepticism. I kind of came in too high and in terms of like the, the, the uh, complexity of the content. And, you know, so there was a lot of um, mistakes made as a coach, you know, my first, you know, five to six months working with the teams. It's not like I, it was awful. Right. But I, <laughs> There was a, a lot that I learned and d- did differently in subsequent teams. But yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I'm kind of the perpetual opportunist. You know, um, friends of mine have joked, if, you, if I ever, you know, lost a leg that, you know, I would, I would start working on my, one, my one-legged hopping. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, I think you just sort of take the opportunities as they are, uh, not what you want them to be. And, you know, m- my career basically you know, defines this, you know, you just have a goal in mind that you think is what you want, which is, you know, to play professional golf, to be, you know, a great uh, golf psychologist. But at the end of the day, I think what my, what, what I want most is to be learning and to be, you know, great at what I do. Right. So here we are back to chasing greatness. And so anything that kind of any, any, any roadblock that I hit, it just is feedback and, and, you know, is take a step back, figure out what's going on, figure out what's missing. You know, I, back in October, I hired a business coach. Um, and, and, you know, she's been on like, uh, you know, entrepreneur magazine and has done a bunch of, um, you know, feedback for, for small businesses and whatnot. And, you know, it was very revealing and, and actually really helped me to understand that I needed to systematize my system in a more clearly articulated way. And so, yeah, I mean, I think getting outside counsel is important. You know, there's, I, you know, there's a lot of people who say, uh, you know, those who, who, who do do and those who can't teach. But the reality is that, that those who do need people who can teach, right? There's not a PGA Tour player that doesn't have a coach. Uh, you know, at this point, most, most great poker players either have a coach or they've got a team of people that, you know, they are working with and learning from. Um, it's just hard to be the lone wolf that, you know, can kind of figure things out on their own. So yeah, it's inefficient. I mean, I'm not a, yeah, it's just inefficient. I, and I'm not immune to, to do that. I've gone through four or five therapists in my life, um, you know, uh, now getting business coaching and, you know, have a team of people that are supporting me because I have a lot of things that I can't do. So 
you know, I think at the end of the day, you, you set your goals and set your sights on what you want. And it doesn't matter what kind of comes your way. You just got to kind of figure a way, you know, through it, around it, learn from it and grow, stand on top of it. I, I would say team liquid. Uh, so professional video gamers, right? The thing, the one thing that I know about professional video gamers is like at the age of like 20, they've peaked. <laughs> so I would say that that's probably a pretty significant thing for you to learn is how to communicate your information to much younger people than you're probably working with before. Yeah. For a lot of reasons. I mean, you know, so yeah, I mean, they're peaking 20 to 24, but they're kind of getting plucked out of obscurity, um, you know, at 17, 18. And a lot of them haven't had um, any experience with organized sports or organized performance, whether it be, you know, art or music or dance or, you know, anything really where they've had coaches and they've had instructors, you know, they've been at home playing video games and they've interacted on a community level, but they've never actually been coached before. And it's, it's, it's a very different thing. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of complexity there among, you know, suddenly having, you know, hundreds of thousands of followers and, you know, hatred and vitriol spit at you and you underperform. And yeah, it's a complex uh, thing to just get kind of thrown into. Yeah. I do not envy you. I do not envy you. That <laughs> sounds like a hell of a challenge. That I like. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I can imagine um, those kids too. They earn a lot of money very, very quickly as well. So yeah, my, my wife, one of her clients is the wife of a professional video gamer. And it's like, Oh, my wife is like, Oh, he's like, 19 years old and you know gets paid 500k a year plus like whatever he makes streaming and on twitch and stuff and it's like holy shit like this kid's bringing yeah. in over a million a year um and he's not even 20 years old yet insane uh so lightning round real fast uh have you made any purchases under a hundred dollars in the last year that you find has been helpful i mean kind of a pathetic one but you know, pandemic wise, um, a pulse ox is pretty nice for your mental sanity. Um, so if you don't know, uh, one of the signs of COVID is, um, a drop in your oxidage, oxidage, oxid, I think that's right. Oxygenization levels, right? <laughs> You're like just think the, like the oxygen in your blood, there's a better way of framing it. And so, uh, typically what happens with people that got really sick is that they would show up at the hospital with, um, you know, oxygen levels that were like, you know, below 90%. And so then, you know, you sort of severely compromised after that, because you just kind of going in with your lungs deteriorating pretty rapidly. So yeah, I saw some research early on that said, you know, just get one of these things, and you can kind of monitor yourself. So, you know, the few times that I felt off, it was nice to just get a little feedback from that. Aside from the scary, you know, COVID stuff. Um, I've got like this little egg timer, that has been great. So I've got um, a spare, you know, get, guest room in the house and I've put another desk in there and, you know, another monitor so I can kind of, you know, move my computer over there and it becomes kind of my creative space. Uh, but I don't want, I don't want my phone in there and I wanted to be able to, you know, not look at the time, but also know that if I had to be somewhere <laughs> that I could be alerted. So yeah, I just bought this stupid little digital, you know, timer. It's like, you know, eight bucks or something, you know, that's been super helpful. I think, by and large, you know, especially for those who have been at, been at home a lot, you know, the phone can just be like an easy time suck. We're on our computers a lot. It's easy to just sort of get sucked in. And so, you know, when you can, you know, buy some small things that can help you to carve out, you know, that mental space, it's, it's really critical. 
Yeah, I love that. I love the egg timer. The other thing is it's like a pulse oximeter, right? Or something yeah, like that. You put it on your finger and it tells yep. you your O2 levels. Yep. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's like 30 bucks on Amazon. Yeah. Very inexpensive and yeah. good for peace of mind. Um, what's a poker-related thing that you've heard other folks rave about that hasn't worked for some of your clients? And why do you think it doesn't work? Uh, I'd, I would say some like the, uh, you know, the, the GTO craze, you know, I think some, uh, some have kind of, you know, gotten into it lightly because they feel compelled to, um, based on the, the, the difficulty of the games. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think some kind of follow that line because they're just following the trend and not because they actually want to learn it. And so then, you know, it, it, depending on how you do it, it can cause more short-term kind of chaos. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, yeah, GTO is here to stay. It's not going anywhere. I, I do, I'm not suggesting not for people to do it, but you just got to do it in the right way and for the right reasons. For sure. And yeah, I mean, it's a thing that's here to stay, but also it's very easy for folks to get dogmatic about the outputs and just believe that like, this is it when the reality is it's not like we're continuing to learn and evolve and grow as poker players. And, you know, like Pio is just a giant calculator. And if you mess up the inputs, well, you can't really trust the outputs. Mm -hmm. Um, all right. What are some things you wish you said no to more often? Yeah. I mean, I probably, probably, uh, client sessions. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I, I, I'm always kind of battling, um, you know, kind of the immediate short term with kind of building for the long term. And um, yeah, I mean, my, my time is, is, I mean, I think as you get older, you realize it in general, I've got a six-year-old, you know, time is a, is a, a precious resource. And so how it's being used, you know, is ultimately, you know, something that I struggle with, continue to, you know, manage and figure out because, you know, I have a lot of goals. So there's not kind of perfection in the short term in terms of how I'm, you know, sort of choosing and selecting my time. And yeah, it's not, I mean, I'm not saying no, just the clients. I'm saying just kind of no to, you know, some of the things that uh, need to get offloaded. And so I am happy because I've got now, you know, a team of people that I'm, you know, kind of onboarding and getting ramped up so that I can actually free up a lot of my time to do the stuff that I like, which is creating content and working with people. If I can do just those things and, you know, I'll be pretty happy with the rest of it. Take care of you sound exactly like me. I, I almost wish that I would have just taken a year before I did anything and just made all of my stuff so that I don't have to like make it while I'm producing podcasts and doing private coaching and writing and learning and then sometimes playing or doing webinars for pokercoaching.com or whatever it is. Um, there's just not enough time in the day. And I know that there's even struggles with onboarding a team, right? It gets harder before it gets easier because you yep. need to train them to do all the stuff correctly. And yeah, it's just a, it's a lot of stuff. And so I know exactly what you're saying. And I, I don't want my, my private coaching students to think that, you know, I don't want to be coaching them. It's just, there's only so many hours in the day. And like, how do I get all of it done? Um, yeah, if all the other stuff was taken care of, then you'd have, you know, a lot more time for them. And that's the point. I mean, that's, that's the stuff that, you know, I certainly love doing. I mean, it's, it's, um, I learn a lot from it. Right. And that's, that's part of the challenge. Like I like working with challenging clients. I think having written the books is great because it also sort of, you know, doesn't have people show up at my door that, that have issues that could be taken care of easily. It's not fun for me to work on something that I've already kind of mapped 
Yep. Right? Um, you know, GTO mental game stuff is in the book. So if, uh, you know, you can learn from it there and it's pretty straightforward problems and, you know, easy, ga- easy game. Like I, I like the challenging situations and that's, that's the stuff that's fun for me. Yeah. That was the reason why I made preflop bootcamp. My first course was like, I just was tired of getting preflop questions or seeing people mess up preflop and talking mm-hmm. about it. It's like, let's just solve this so that I don't have to talk about it anymore. And like, that's yeah. actually what ha- is happening with my other courses as well. It's like, well, if you're looking for this in a private consult, like take this course instead of private coaching right now, like do this before, you know, you get private coaching just because these are things that I've already effectively solved. And there's no reason to like, just go through them in private coaching sessions too. Exactly. Um, you ever believe something in your professional career only to reverse course later on? And if so, what led to that change? Um, biggest one is probably visualization. Um, yeah, I thought, I mean, I, you know, I was working with golfers, right? So, so visualization was something that was very kind of deep in the waters for psychology in that, but I've come to realize like it is kind of in that secondary category of things that, yeah, helpful, right? But it's not an antidote. And yeah, you can't like kind of visualize your problems away. You can't visualize yourself playing perfectly or even visualize yourself dealing with problematic situations. And that then is going to kind of guarantee that occurring. It just makes it more likely how much so, you know, fractionally it's, it's valuable, but, but in, in doses. So that's probably the biggest one. Um, I'm sure there's lots of others. (laughs) Just playing whack-a-mole with the symptoms, right. Instead of finding the cure. Yeah. Um, all right, man. So we're going to wrap up. And what's a, what's a project you're working on right now that's near and dear to your heart. And obviously I think you have your book. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the mental game of trading just came out. Um, in the second poker book, I talk a lot about, um, intuition. You know, we, we were kind of discussing it earlier about that intangible competence. Uh, I'm going to make like a kind of a free ebook because I'm not going to write a second trading book. So, uh, that ebook is going to come out soon. And then, yeah. And then I'm going to start working on some video courses uh, myself and getting that ramped up and time frame is tough. I mean, uh, I'm going to try to do as much as I can before the break and I'll probably do a little bit of work on the break, but you know, probably, uh, you know, next couple of months for, for the ebook and, you know, fall for the, for the video courses. You just cursed yourself to writing uh, the middle game of trading part two, by the way, by saying that you're not going to do it. Oh, no, I, I, there's, there's no, I actually wrote the book in part, including, some of the things that I wanted to from the second book, uh, it ain't going to happen because I've got another book uh, project in mind, which I, I won't share yet, but um, that that's going to be, that, that'll be my next, my next big baby. Awesome, man. Can't wait to, can't wait to hear about it, see it, consume it. Thanks, uh, final question is where can the chasing poker greatness audience learn more about Jared Tindler on the World Wide web? Yeah. I mean, know the name. So go to the, go to my website, jaredtendler.com or, Twitter at Jared Tenler, probably the two, two best places to go. Um, and I will say too, that, um, I've, I've kind of recently updated my website. So, um, jaredtenler.com backslash worksheets. Um, I've got all these kind of worksheets that are available now to, um, help you kind of map anger, you know, fear, uh, confidence issues, um, A to C game analysis, you know, things, tools from the, the second book or the first book that you know, can kind of help you to organize your mental game work is, you know, kind of freely available there now. So. You know, and, and for those that end up kind of on my newsletter, just know that 
uh, in the near term, I'm going to be working to kind of make sure that there's content, you know, that's, that'll speak to you, right? It's, it's going to be still a little bit trading heavy in the near term, but um, very soon it'll be more kind of, you know, performance agnostic and, you know, uh, applicable to poker. And so, yeah, if you end up on the newsletter, you know, just be patient with the, the near term, you know, adjustments that are happening there. See, jaredzindler.com. And even once you pump something out that solves a problem, guess what? You got to go back and update that son of a bitch over time. So it's more work. Um, <laughs> but congrats on updating your website and, you know, providing those worksheets and everything for the listener. And you can click through on the show page if you want to check that out. Mr. Tindler, it's been great having you back on the show. I'm very grateful for your time and energy. Let's do it again. You know, when the next book project is released. Sounds good, man. Good to see you, Brad. Thanks, Fred. You too. Take care. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.